Welcome to The Content Lab, the weekly podcast for content marketers about the strategies and tools you need to create addictive content your audience will love. I'm your host, Liz Murphy, Impact's content strategist. Today is a long overdue reunion. Today, Jesse Lee Nichols is joining me for this episode of The Content Lab. Round of applause, hooray, hooray. <laughs> so, Jesse Lee, for the people who are sad, lonely individuals who do not know you. Who are you? What do you do? First of all, who are these people? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> actually, that's a really good question. Who are you and why? So I am actually the design supervisor at Impact. Um, I head up the team of, gosh, what is that? Four, four, five designers, including myself now. So I, I run all of the, um, the day-to-day admin stuff for them. I keep them on their toes for sure, you know, clear their impediments and things. Um, but before that, and how I met you, <laughs> is I actually worked at Quintine Marketing for, gosh, what, six, seven years, something crazy like that. Um, many moons. Many, many yes, moons. Yes. Where I started there as a marketing manager and learned a hell of a lot of inbound <laughs> and kind of just, you know, I am a graphic designer. That is who I am first and foremost, but those skills I found translated very, very well into marketing, especially, you know, the impact method, impact, the inbound methodology. See, it's just kind of, at this point, it's ingrained in our heads. I wouldn't worry about it too much. I mean, it's Tuesday, which is basically (laughs) Monday adjacent. So it's basically Monday. It is. (laughs) Um, So from there, you know, I got really into, you know, doing a lot of CTAs and eBooks and things for our clients, which led into websites, um, which is primarily what me and my team work on now. We work on all of the design associated facets of inbound, but primarily it's a lot of website design. So it's a lot of fun. So I know you do a lot of the people management and stuff now, but what has been really neat about watching you go into this new role as the design supervisor is you work a lot on the process and project management side as well. You know, not just hey, are these designs the best that they can be from an impact perspective? You also spend a lot of time saying, how do we get all of these different teams across different parts of the organization, in addition to our clients, working in a way, in a process, in an order of operations that actually makes sense and gets things across the finish line? Which I think for a lot of projects, like whether you're talking about like a little baby infographic or a very large like 60-page website, that can be a pretty daunting task. Definitely. That's that's the it's kind of a fun part of my job, honestly. It's a very large jigsaw puzzle. You're taking a lot of people, a lot of departments, a lot of different specialties and personalities, and you've got to figure out a way to make them all harmoniously work together. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think one of the one of the really cool things, um, as many of your listeners, I'm sure know, um, you know, we both worked at Quintain, which merged with Impact um, last year. So one of the really awesome parts about that is we've been able to really kind of meld minds and sync up in terms of these processes. So we've been able to take things that, that you and I built, as you said, many moons ago, <laughs> and we've been able to take, you know, the best and the brightest minds from our brand new coworkers and really just like come into this like huge melting pot of ideas and ways to do things. And it's just been it's just been so cool to kind of see that like build up. So, you know, recently, I think it was earlier this spring, you were, you were with me on part of this. <laughs> we, uh, we decided to take a hard look at our current website redesign process 
and we decided to throw a ton of spaghetti on the wall and figure out what stuck between two processes that had a lot of strengths in a lot of different ways and really take the best parts of each scenario and build something brand new. Um, so that's been really exciting as of late. <laughs> well, yeah, because what you've actually been doing is implementing essentially, and I use quotes on this, a content first approach to how we build out website projects. Because let's be realistic here, one of the most painful parts of any website project or a complex design project is the, is the content creation. Everything from you know, people who just don't want to write the content or if they do want to write the content, it's not good enough or it's not happening in the right order or design needs it, but we don't have it ready, but we need the designs before we need the copy and the copy before the designs. Like that's why I always used to joke with you on Creators Block when we co-hosted that <laughs> back in the day is that content stages of website projects is often where things just go completely bananas and off the rails, which Absolutely. is what I wanted to talk to you about today because a lot of people who are listening are probably wondering, you know, why are we spending all this time talking to a designer about websites and those types of more designy projects when this is supposed to be a podcast about content? And that's because organizations often really struggle about where to put content creation into those processes for projects like websites or an infographic, any of those types of projects. So that's what I really wanted to talk with you today since you've been spending so much time specifically working on this process, but you also have... I mean, before you joined Impact, you had overseen as the designer developer and project manager, something like 60 plus websites. I collaborated with you directly on websites. So you know exactly what content creators need to understand about how these processes come together effectively. And I want to start this conversation with, you told me something really cool yesterday about that content first approach to building websites. And we're gonna unpack that in a little bit when we start talking about how that process comes together. But you were talking with Jenna, who is one of our new client success managers on our sales team. And you were walking her through the process and you said that she had a positive reaction to it. Oh, definitely. It's, I always say I never get to talk to the sales team enough. <laughs> They're always so much fun. And, and that is totally something that's on me. I need to schedule more time with them because they're great. But one of the things that we had talked about, I was, you know, Jenna's been with us for a little over a week now. She's completely amazing and I love her and I wish I could talk to her like half the day. But <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we were going through this because truth be told, full, full transparency, like this is still very much a work in progress. It's something that we've been working on the better part of the year. It's not fully documented yet. You know, we, we have a lot of pieces that are still in play, still moving, that haven't been totally 100% nailed down. Um, as processes are, I feel like it's, it's a thing that needs to live and breathe. You and I have talked a lot about that over the years at this point. Um, but I was, I was sharing our, our current draft of the website process with, with Jenna, and she was just very... She thought it was super great. <laughs> she gave me a ton of compliments, which, you know, gave me all the feels, you know, especially when you're in the thick of it. <laughs> and let's be honest, one of the things you and I have always bonded over is when those moments where we say, tell me I'm pretty and somebody goes, okay, you're pretty because of our work. Like, I just love those moments. And I feel like if anybody can relate to that, it would be you. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> we both love that a little too much, I think. But it's what drives us. It's what gets us the big ideas. But the conversation with Jenna, and it's not a dissimilar one that I've had from other people that we've shown this process to, is it's, it's one of those things where everybody's like, yeah, that sounds really good in theory, but like, how do you do it? 
And the answer is you just do. Like it's completely amazing and brilliant, but not just conceptually, you can actually make it happen. <laughs> and the thing that she was really excited about, if I recall, was not just the whole process overall, which is a beautiful thing, but specifically that component of doing the content first in a website. Yes which is often the biggest question people have. You know, when you're talking about these big complex design forward projects like a website, you know, when do you actually write that content? So tell me a little bit about what that looks like and why she had such a positive reaction. So that way we can get some context around it. Definitely. I think I'm going to start with a, a little bit of, you know, my narrative with this. So one of the things I tell our AEs when we get into the thick of really daunting, you know, managing a, projects. <laughs> what's an AE? Oh, an AE is an account executive here okay. at Impact. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, when we get into the thick of it and we're just like, oh, you know, the client's just not getting me. You have to remember clients with a website process are a little like, you know, a bride planning a wedding. They're, they're freaking out about the dessert forks. They have to order dessert forks. They don't know how many they need to order. And that detail is going to make or break their entire wedding. So content is a lot like that as, as the, um, the service provider. So as we had impact here, <laughs> we definitely need to, we need to be that wedding planner. That's going to be like, Hey, I've gone through this multiple, multiple times. I know exactly how many dessert forks to order. And I feel like that's really what birthed this entire process here and now with all of these minds melding is that we really started to solve for the client problem we were having where they said the designs are great, the process is great, but when it comes to content, I feel really lost. Like there's so much that I have to do and I don't, I, I know I need to start somewhere. It's kind of like like right now I'm about, I'm ready to prepare for a move. My husband and I are moving to a new house in two weeks. We've been talking to Liz about this a lot. And I'm like, I just need to start somewhere and I'm not sure where. And it's like, I have to pack the whole house and I'm focused on packing the whole house. But like, really, I need to start with one drawer in one room. And that's kind of what we do, especially with this process is you're setting the client up to like kind of pull their hand through it and really just set them up for success with this process. Yeah. And I think that's something that I saw too. So when we worked together at Quintain, you were the art director and I was the content manager. So whenever we worked together on websites, typically what would happen is you were kind of governing the entire project, but really working closely with them during the strategy phase. And then also in that design development, implementation and launch phase. And I came in and essentially was the handholder who said, okay, start in this drawer in this room and yes. this is how you do it. And that's typically where we see a lot of things go wrong because what happens is that people look at this big mountain and say, oh, this is all the copy I need to make. Okay, well, like, is it just a bunch of paragraphs? I don't even know what page to start with. I don't know how I group them together. I don't even know if this is good or not. How do I know if this is on strategy? Like, it becomes this big can of worms. And so it ends up being the same where it's like, well, what do I even do? How do I even document a process that's agile enough to work for a website project or a smaller project, or if I need to make updates later, that's like scalable is repeatable when I don't know what every project's going to look like or what I'm supposed to do. Yep. So, I mean, that's kind of, we get that a little bit on our end too, with you have a website it's comprised of many templates and many pages, but you never know how many, but the same process works. So <laughs> it's, it's about using that process and kind of applying it to those individual circumstances. So, I think you can definitely do that. The process that we've 
kind of developed, I'd say, and come up with is we, we do take this content first approach where I look at it a little bit as, as a reward system. So for you guys that, that have worked with designers in the past, like I'm sure everybody gets very, very excited about the design piece. You get to see something. You know, you get to see something, you get to see everything kind of come to life and it's this awesome epiphany. Well, that's great. But <laughs> before we get to that point, we really need to nail down a lot of the things that um, with you and I, and the way we've worked in the past, you do a content style guide workshop, you know, you identify how they're going to sound <laughs> and kind of collectively the way they've decided that and you've talked plenty about that, I'm sure. <laughs> but you'd be surprised we actually haven't even gotten to content style guides yet but well i'll put what? some of that information in that i know well because it would just be me <laughs> talking by myself for an hour although sneak preview i did just finish editing the final draft of my how to create a content style guide for your business pillar content <laughs> so excited very nice well i think that's probably honestly if you haven't covered that i think that that's a good place to start so for, for you content creators that have been through a website design process, you know that you typically have a brainstorm with a client. You go over a lot of visual things. I like this. I like the way this functions. This feels good. So, you know, it's not just we're throwing content in front of a client to start when we say content first. It's everything and everybody is integrated into content being first. So when you have that kickoff, part of that kickoff is deciding, okay, well, who's being responsible for content? Who's going to be the decision makers associated with that? Just like you do with design. And then as you go into brainstorms and, and style guides that's visual for logos and colors and web fonts, you do the same thing with content. So you're constantly working in tandem. You're designing things, but you're also doing the content piece. So the client becomes equally invested in both pieces. They're not just excited to see the stuff. <laughs> They're also excited to figure out how to really, you know, how does their brand sound? How are they going to craft that so every page sounds like the same person wrote it, even if you have 10 subject matter experts? So by setting that precedent in the beginning, I think we get a ton of client buy-in where not only is the designer on board, not only is the content creator on board, but the client understands that they have to have both sides of that puzzle together from the get-go. So that's the way you approach everything moving forward. And I think that's even true. I know you said like if you're a marketer or content creator who's working with a client, this also really works internally as well. Because that's the biggest challenge is, you know, some people are, when they're building out their website, they're partnering with an agency like us. Sometimes they are the content creator or marketer who's being forced to wear many hats. And really what it does start is, you know, getting down to the foundation before you even decide what is the strategy by which I'm going to conquer all of these pages. You need to have those internal discussions, whether that's with your marketing director or whatever group of key stakeholders who are involved in this project to really flesh out, like, do we have a style guide in place that's going to govern the mechanics and editorial style of our writing? Um, we also do something called a messaging workshop, which we do have a pillar for. So I'll link that in the show notes about how to build your own messaging strategy. You know, content style guide is how you say it, but the messaging strategy is the what. And then really figuring out those kind of other strategic foundational elements first, because I think that's one of the critical mistakes people make. You actually need to understand all of those different things, whether you're talking about design or content, you always have to start with that strategy first. So it's interesting that you talk about strategy. That's actually a really good place to kind of start diving into the process and what it is from, from our end. So how we've crafted this. So 
at Impact, we have a, we're lucky enough to have a, a large team of very talented individuals. And this website redesign is really where all of those different teams get to shine and come into play in one project. So typically, um, you mentioned the messaging workshop. Our strategists usually run that, where they're understanding that, that what from the clients. So from there, the strategist kind of kicks this whole thing off. You know, they're trying to figure out all the different pieces to something um, to kind of bring it all together. So the, the end goal, that vision <laughs> um, of the entire website and what it's meant to be. So they do these things um, that at Impact we call page stories. Um, page stories happen before the wireframes, before the content's written, before any of the design's done. That basically lays out, it's a very long document. It's a little daunting if you look at it, but it gives every person that's on this project insight into what the goal of the page is, who the personas are, what you're trying to solve for each individual page, and where that page fits in terms of the user journey all the way through the website. It's a pretty incredible document. It's so yeah. cool. But <laughs> I just want to point that out. I, you're a nerd. I know. I okay. know. <laughs> but we, so that page story typically comes from the strategist to the designers. And we take a look at it and we go into wireframing. We understand, okay, based on this strategy, we have to have, you know, six sections to this homepage. It's got to have a hero image. It's got to have testimonials. It's got to have a differentiator block, so on and so forth. So we're able to take that strategy and visualize it. And many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with the wireframe. We're talking black and white boxes on a page to basically show these elements are going to react in this way to each other. It's, it's not saying this is the way it's going to be designed, but in terms of the page flow, this is what we're talking about with information goes here, there, wherever. So we actually do that first. That's the only piece of design that the client sees before they go into um, writing their copy. So, okay. So I need to stop you right there. Okay, do it. Do it. Because this is, this is why I wanted to have this conversation with you because there's so much of this foundational work that needs to happen, but there is always this, at least in my perception, and, and you can correct me if my, I'm wrong, but one of the most common challenges that content creators and marketers create is that they want to see more from a design perspective before they create the content because they can't create the content without visualizing where it's going, right? But on the flip side of that, I would like you to just kind of have a moment with content creators to explain the kind of the fallacy of logic there and why it needs to happen that way. So like, why can't you show me a website page full of Laura Mipsum? Ugh, don't do that to me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's what I want to talk about. Like, why can't you do that? Because you have to understand that, you know, as, as a designer, I can sit here after, you know, having what, seven years under my belt and being through this and making this mistake again and again and again. Not everybody thinks the way I think. Not everybody processes information the way I process information. So somebody that's maybe not a visual learner is going to take a look at a wireframe. They're going to see black and white boxes on a page and they're going to say, what the hell do you want me to do with that? <laughs> so Laura Mipsum text, it's giving you a ton of filler, but it's not, it's not live. It gives you no understanding of, you need a headline here. You know, you need to say in your wireframes, we also do this in our wireframes. Our wireframes say, this is a valuable headline that provides this type of information to the client. This is a subheader that backs up our headline. It gives them a little bit of context to what they're seeing. So Lorem Ipsum, it's, it, 
that all it is, it's just filler. It doesn't do anything. You're giving, you're setting a false expectation and a false hope with the client that the text that they create is going to be exactly 82 characters long <laughs> and it's going to fit next to this picture absolutely perfectly. So it makes your job a lot harder when you use that filler text as opposed to text that gives context that's still dummy text. It's not real text, but you're at least telling the client or somebody you're working with, whether it's internal or external, um, you're setting a different expectation with them when you set that type of, of, of text that explains it, provides that context rather than the lorem ipsum. And I think the other thing too is in terms of that, well, I just need to see it. Well, you know, the wireframe does serve a purpose. <laughs> we, and when it, you say wireframe, what exactly do you mean? Like, is it, because when I think of wireframe in my head, the definition I'm thinking of is like, it's essentially like a white screen and everything's kind of like blocked out and it's like lines. It's like a framework as opposed to an actual design. Yes. So it's, it's not a wireframe. It's black and white and gray. There is, it's usually very, very void of color. The fonts are exactly the same, whether I do it for client A, B, C, or Z, you know, it's, it's devoid of personality. It's supposed to, because what we really, really want you to look at is where things are placed on the page in relation to each other. It's not necessarily saying that this picture is going to be a square box. It might be a rectangular box. It might have many layers. It might have a drop shadow. You don't see that in the wireframe because it's unnecessary. Those types of design details aren't going to change where that information is placed on the page. So that's really what we want to see. We want to make sure that, you know, if, if we have a logo bar full of clients, we want to see where, where you're comfortable with something and also strategically where we think it's best to place it if that's right underneath the hero image or if that's right above the footer. We want to be making those decisions at this point in, of the process. Not necessarily, oh, this slider is going to automatically scroll and it's going to have drop shadows and it's going to be bright orange. That doesn't matter if we place them on the page. So, so when we think about content creators and marketers who are really scrambling to kind of have that kind of stuff, really it's about... In theory, yes, you could probably do that. You could make it all work, but that means you're not, you're trying to solve too many problems all at once. Yes. When you're in that wireframing and content creation stage, what you're really doing is figuring out what are all the moving pieces? Okay, what order do they need to be in? Okay, do we, we feel comfortable with the layout strategically of this information? Is it in line with what our messaging strategy is, what our buyer personas need, things like that. And the problem is, is once you introduce fonts and colors and designs, immediately that becomes the focus of the conversation instead of what you're actually trying to do, which is get the pieces in the right place. Okay, once you have the right pieces in the right place, then you need to really focus on the content and getting that where it needs to be. And then you can start focusing on design. But if I'm not mistaken, I think a lot of design choices are often made based on what the content is that's given to them in that final part. Absolutely, because based on what you do in that style guide workshop, design, Design creates emotion in the user. It you know, creates usability in terms of this is how I'm supposed to run through this website. This is how I'm supposed to use it. I'm supposed to feel something, whether that is <clears throat> something that's a little more subdued because it happens to be um, a website that's informative about a, a charity or whether it's supposed to be really, really punchy for a school website. It's supposed to invoke that type of emotion. So when you start putting that stuff in at this stage, that's really what, you, what you're going to focus on. So that's, that's part of the reason I think the style guide really, really comes into play here is because 
when you go through that exercise with clients or whether it's internal or whatnot, you have the ability to tell, like to, to explain to me in words in that guide, if your brand is supposed to sound very energetic or if it's supposed to sound subdued, you, and that will inform things like my color choices, my font choices, things of that nature. So going through that workshop, I think is absolutely crucial, but then based on all of that voice and tone work that you do in that website, I have the ability to see if, okay, is your text sarcastic? Is it funny? Is it very, very serious? Is it business-like? Those all inform design decisions that I then make. Yeah. And I, I also think about it from the perspective too of, you know, it, the style, I love what you said about the style, you know, style of words and style of design do the same thing. They tell a story, they evoke emotion. Um, I read this really great article this morning on copy blogger about how you play into the literal neuroscience with neuromarketing about evoking the right emotions, not just any emotion. And I'll, I'll put that in the show notes, but I think also, you know, I've seen you on projects that we worked closely on together. You know, once you saw the actual words, the actual messaging that we came up with, with the final copy, it influenced the type of imagery that you chose. Or if there's a more diverse, complex color palette associated with the brand, you know, that you may draw upon something that's more warm colors if you want to evoke a story or a feeling of, you know, the, net, the need or urgency for change or something blue and green that's more calming. You know, and, and that's the kind of stuff that I think people take for granted of. They just want a fully designed framework to drop their words in. And that's not how you get the best work out of stuff. You really want to set, as a, as a content creator, the best thing you can do is set your designer up for success. It's going to make both of you successful in this type of project. So when you have the words, like what, I think one of the things that's incredibly challenging, but also incredibly exciting about our job, especially with clients, is that we get to work with so many different clients across so many different industries. The amount, you know, the different clients that I've had the opportunity to work with over the last however many years, I, I couldn't possibly pretend as a designer with that background and, you know, the marketing design area being my specialty. I can't pretend to know, you know, about hot tubs or about hospitality parking or about, um, Oh gosh, what are some other things? Networking and all kinds of crazy technical things. That's not my business. I can't understand that. I have to learn a brand new business and a, a brand new industry every time I take on one of these projects. So when you ask me to give you a design prior to truly understanding what you do, which the easiest way to do that is in your own words with your copy, you're, you're, you're not setting the project up for success because I have very little context and understanding of what it is I'm trying to design around. So you're absolutely right. I have a hard time picking out images, especially when it comes to stock photography, if that's something you need to, to explore and go down that path. I have a very hard time choosing that and nailing it the first time if all you're giving me is, oh, I need a full design before I can really, you know, add the content. Oh, Completely. Remember what we did when we were working on the town park project where they actually didn't do stock photography. They had a photographer come in, shoot original photography, but because we went through that whole process, the content first approach, not designing first, we knew exactly what type of photography needed to be there. And in fact, you had me sit in on that meeting since in that case, while I was interviewing, subject matter experts. I was the one who was being the copywriter. So we were hired in that capacity for me to be the content creator for the project. Since I was the one most familiar with the content and the story of every single page, 
what was really neat is I got to be the person who sat in on that meeting and helped influence the visual story that we were going to be telling through photography. And you so developed the shot list. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think amazing. that's what, that's what actually makes it a lot more fun is that it may sound like kind of like crummy, like I don't get to see the fun stuff before I start writing. It actually allows you to be a lot more a part of the process because I've also done it on other projects where I've seen a photo go in that's maybe stock photography or something else. And I say, you know what, actually I think a better type of visual might be this or that, you know, based on what the content is actually is. The, the feedback loop and just getting approvals goes so much smoother when you do content first because you're setting the expectation like so much earlier in the project than you would at, at any other point in time. You know, if you save it for last, then, you know, a lot of things with the design could change. So when you do it first and the copy is able to influence design, by the time your client sees the page, it's like, well, that's a win-win. That's exactly what I was expecting to see. <laughs> I love that. So what do you think are some other things that content creators and marketers, either their well-meaning assumptions, I'm guilty of them, or things that they get wrong about the process when it comes to collaborating with designers and developers on these types of projects? I think the one big piece of feedback we got when we were actually, you know, making a campaign for this and trying to pull, pull this project together is, well, how do you make clients do that? That's the great thing about a process. When it's written down and this is what you've decided to do, you do it. <laughs> you do it. And I think that's something that can work internally too because that's great for an agency. You know, it's like, well, this is our process. You knew about the process when you hired us. We walked you through it. We told you the why and now we're actually doing it. So, you know, hello, welcome to our world. But I think it also comes down to when you're working in an internal organization, agencies aren't the only ones who have to have processes. Like they're not the only ones who get to play around with it. You know, if you have a great process that you develop that's content first and approach for a website or design project, write it down. You don't want to reinvent the wheel every single time you have to go through a complex design and content project. That's my favorite. <laughs> and what, oh, by the way, Jesse Lee, I'm going to ask you your favorite question now. Oh boy. Can you tell me what a process isn't? <laughs> a process is not a tool. The process doesn't exist if it's not written down and your process is not a tool. A tool helps you make your process a reality, but it's not a replacement. <laughs> like people who think that HubSpot's a strategy. It's like, no, no. Oh no. No, no, no it's no. definitely not. It's definitely not. <laughs> Inaccurate. What are some of the most effective tactics or tips you'd give to content creators and marketers about fostering a better working relationship with their designers? Um, get to get to know them. I think one of the best things that you and I did, you know, this, this was not as much as we love to sit here and joke, like Liz and I were not instant friends. It took a little while. <laughs> no, we were forced into a room and said, work together. And we said, no. And then we were said, yes, or we were told yes. And so we said, okay. <laughs> that's pretty much exactly how it went down um, <laughs> but I think I think having those brainstorming sessions and getting to know them you need to be a lot of what we figured out about this process and how we were able to develop it is because you and I are I think pretty self-aware for where we where we are in our careers <laughs> we've had the opportunity and the ability to do that and we also have a really great working relationship and an understanding of 
you know, when we can push and when we can call each other out and when it's too much. I think we have great communication around that. So when you and I sit in a, a room where we brainstorm, we are very, very good at playing devil's advocate with each other. So we, we sat down and developed this process, not because it just organically came up because we found a need for it and we really pushed and there's been things that we've had to go back and revise and change and adapt over time. But if we didn't have those fundamentals and those like foundational blocks of, well, this is where I'm coming from and this is where you're coming from. This is how I learn and communicate. This is how you learn and communicate. Then we would have butt heads the entire time and gotten absolutely nothing done. So spend some time with your counterpart. It seems really weird, but do it anyway. <laughs> no, I would completely agree with that because I think the, the worst way you can approach those kinds of conversations when you're going to your designer or developer is to basically go in there with the mindset of this is what I need from you. What it really needs to be is collaborative. And I remember before we had a more structured process and again, agencies that this is what we're designed to do. We're designed to build out project timelines and know like down to the hour, how long something is going to take. But if you're not sure and you're approaching this project for the first time with your designer or developer, put them in a room with you and talk about, always frame it from the perspective of, okay, when do you need stuff by? Like if I am in the position of putting you to be successful, to make this website, everything as beautiful as we want it to be. Okay. Let's say we know we want to launch on this date. If we know we want to launch on this date, what is the step before that? And how long does that take and how long and work backward? And usually that makes it pretty easy because then your timeline is, okay, so if we understand that we need all this time for design, development, testing, feedback, QA, all this stuff, and then like pre-launch testing and then the actual launch and then the post-launch, when do you actually need my, what's my content drop dead date? Like work with them to build out that timeline. Don't just go to them and say, this is what I need and this is when I need it by. Um, also, when you're going through the content creation process, bother your designers. If you, if you have wireframes and it usually will give you some sort of, you were talking about this earlier, like coming up with like rough counts and stuff like that. Like how many sentences, how many words need to these sections. There were times I would go over and bother you and say, is this too much? Is this too little? What does this section actually look like? Like, don't be afraid to have those preliminary discussions and make it more of a collaborative process. But bottom line, I completely agree. I love that you talked about it as cultivating a relationship. It's not just project-based because you are going to be two sides of the same coin for many, many projects, not just a website. It'll be an infographic. It'll be a brochure. Like Christine, who's our lead designer on the brand team, we talk once a week. Mm -hmm. We just talk once a week. We have a set time on Friday to talk for an hour to, for me to let her know what projects are coming for me to ask her just general questions. And I remember the way I structured that meeting was it was when I had first joined the brand team back in February. And I said, so I'm kind of like the chief, like premium content creator, you know, Ramona's our head of editorial content. So she really owns the blog, but I work on a lot of the more complex projects like websites, pillar content and stuff like that. Um, and I mean, complex, not from a, you know, up here, down here, it's more of like, there are more people involved, you know, there's actual design and development components, whereas Ramona owns the entire process. And so I remember the first thing I said is, you know, what do I need to know about working with you? 
what are the things that drive you nuts? Like what have content creators and marketers done in the past that have just like made you absolutely batshit? <laughs> like where <laughs> you wish you could go back in time, you know, what, what would you go back in time and tell these people to do differently? You know, obviously without naming names. And then we started talking about, okay, so what do you need for me to be successful? Okay. What is your working style? What is, like, if I'm screwing up, here's what I need from you. Now tell me what you need from me. And I always left the conversation of like, I ended that conversation with saying some sort of form of, I know that your ability to be successful is completely dependent on me empowering you to be successful. So if you ever feel like that's not happening, tell me. If the process ever needs to change, tell me. Like abuse my time, I work for you. And that has really helped that relationship. Yeah, I think another thing too is, you know, with that relationship and with that trust building, part of this is you you work very together in a lot of ways but it, there comes a time when you do this content first you know process and approach where you've got to pass the baton a little bit you know where i would start a project and project manage it and it would get to the point where it's like okay you're going to go into full content creation mode right now i'm going to hand you off to liz and you have to have the <clears throat> ability and the trust and like the self secureness <laughs> to hand your project, your little baby off to somebody else and be like, okay, I need you to take it through the stage and to hit that drop dead content date and then send it back to me ready to go. And you have to be able to, to know and work with that person and trust them enough not to be over their shoulder micromanaging them that, Hey, they've got you. They know exactly what needs to happen, when it needs to happen by, and that everything's going to be okay. So spend some time with your counterpart. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you have to, I love what you said there about trust because it's so true. Like the micromanaging part always comes out of because you don't trust somebody doing something that you're not doing yourself. But if you've gone out of your way to have a very open and honest discussion about timelines, deadlines, expectations, and most importantly, how often they should be checking in. Like designers and developers were put on their little headphones and they, they're very good about deadlines. Very good. But you also have to tell them explicitly like when you need to check in. Or if you're just one of those people who checks in a lot, just explicitly say, by the way, I'm one of those people who checks in a lot. So I apologize <laughs> in advance. Or you know like I, I mean? tell you, just like I tell you in advance that I am a serious procrastinator and that you will get it by the deadline. I may be working on it at 2 a.m., but you will get it. And you just need to trust that. <laughs> that may have put you on edge a couple of times. <laughs> no, no, no. It's okay. <laughs> It's all right. We've all been there. <laughs> so do you have any parting words of wisdom for our little content creators and marketers listening today? Mm, I think all it is, is, you know, it's, it sounds kind of corny and I know this sounds like, you know, a magical, like, wow, that would be so cool. Like world, you know, our process can't be everybody's process. You've got to sit down with people and talk about this and figure out what works for you. Doing content first is totally doable as long as you figure out your process and set your expectation. It might not be exactly how we do it, and that's fine, but it can work. You've just got to put in the time to process, and then everything will be smoother after. <laughs> and from my side of the fence, as someone who has a lot of experience uh, on the other side of this, being the creator who wants the designs first, you have to understand that there are while our way is not the way, 
some of the best practices we've talked about today, you know, splitting up the wireframing from the actual design, doing the wireframe, doing that messaging strategy, doing that style guide, getting the messaging in the right place before you actually get to design is not because the designers are trying to be mean or trying to hurt you or because they don't want to give you the things that you need or they're too busy doing something else. It's because those best practices exist for a reason from experience. Um, so absolutely correct. Your process may look completely different from ours, but some of those best practices that we talked about today are there in place for a reason. It's a little bit difficult because when you try to wrap your brain around like, especially websites, you know, content or design, which comes first, it's like two fat people trying to fit through one door. And I say this as a larger female myself, I can't <laughs> imagine both of me trying to get through at the same time, but like, it, it's just, they are competing priorities but they happen in that order for a reason. And be nice. They wanna help you be successful, get to know them, give them coffee, give them a little space, you know, it'll work out. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for joining me today, Jesse Lee. Well, thank you for having me, this was fun. Yeah, we'll have to make up an excuse for you to come back. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for joining me, bye.